Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. You turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Luke 13, we'll pick up in verse 14. And this is really a continuation of this dialogue that Jesus is having with some Pharisees, Sadducees, rulers of the synagogue. And the reason that I think there's so much of this in this particular part is Jesus is about to head to Jerusalem. He's finishing up his ministry in the region of Perea, the Jordan River Valley. And and he is about to come to the final week of his life, but we have about six more months or so of Jesus ministering in various ways. And we now come to a a passage that as we look at it, now some of you, I'm looking around and it's starting to clear, so I can tell that you remember when we used to have to go and have our film developed, amen? Some of you, raise your hand if you remember that time, okay? Okay. Remember those times when you would take a photo and the shutter would click twice? We would call that a double exposure, right? And it had this weird image. It was the same image, but it was not really the same image. It was kind of, sort of the same image, but it was the same framing of the photo. The title of this morning's message is Double Exposure, because Jesus is now going to speak about an issue that I think many of us struggle with, which is this area of maybe we might say uh, saintly hypocrisy, where it looks good on the outside. We might even say we're being righteous, but what it produces is not anything that could be attributable to the Spirit. It is actually just holy hypocrisy. It is that person who believes that if you simply talk about something righteous, it is always righteous. Jesus is going to address that. Because sometimes we speak in hushed, holy tones, but what we're really saying is something that's far from holy. It could even be unholy. It could be unrighteous. And so would you join me? We'll pick up in verse 14, but before we do, let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word. Father, we have come again, Lord, in this wonderfully cool morning to hear from you. And we pray that you'd speak, God, that your voice would just project itself into our hearts and minds that we would receive the truth from you. And so, God, as we read your word, would it be more than ink on page, more than digital image on a phone? Would it be truth that causes us to live in a way that's pleasing to you? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember here, this is referring now back to the woman that was healed. She had been bent over for 18 years. That's the picture. But the ruler of the synagogue, same guy as our last story, answered with indignation. 
Now, Jesus has already spoken to him. He's already corrected him. But he's still going right back to his religiousness. Because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, so now he's trying to appeal to the people that are there, let's, let's all shout Jesus down. There are six days on which men ought to work. So you know where this is going. This is a direct reference to the Ten Commandments, right? The Sabbath is, interestingly enough, the only command of the ten that was given to the Jews, and it was repeated, it was for them and them alone. Though we should, as New Testament believers, have a Sabbath, it was a command to them to actually keep it. And therefore, come and be healed on them, but not on a Sabbath day. In other words, you can't heal this poor woman on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered and said, Hypocrite. Now, when the Lord Jesus calls you a hypocrite, this is not a good thing. When he begins his defense of what he's done with the word actor, pretender, two-faced, three-faced, four-faced person, one who has an opinion, but your opinion's wrong, and Jesus calls you a hypocrite, you might want to listen to what follows. Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? That's called work. Jesus is being accused of working on the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus is saying, you silly person. You do work all the time on the Sabbath. Matter of fact, you treat your farm animals better than you would like me to treat this woman. Hypocrite. Are you kidding me? What in the world are you thinking? And yes, those are Jeffisms. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? You're so worried about the meticulous keeping of the law that you forget why the law was given in the first place. The law wasn't given to bind us. It was given to set us free. The law wasn't given to be a burden. It was given to allow men and women the opportunity to please God. And when someone is hurting, God absolutely does not care on what day that hurting person is healed. He only cares that they are healed. He cares that you care that they need a healing. You see, it misses the heart of God, but it keeps the letter of the law in view. Now, this is so important for us because we can look at what the Word says and lose the heart of why it says it. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. 
He came to heal the blind. He caused the lame to walk. It wasn't about what day of the week it was done on, including the Sabbath. Jesus came to heal. You're missing the heart of it. And I think for me, I think for us, as I look at this, I I sometimes use lovely legalistic language. I know you find that hard to believe. But every once in a while, I'll find myself making a statement, and I think about it, I go, but yeah, that doesn't really express God's heart. You know, sometimes when I'm correcting somebody on some issue of sin, I can find myself being a little overly direct. I can say things that would cause that person maybe to miss the heart of God. Oh, they'd get the truth correct. But they wouldn't see how much God loves them. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Sometimes we, I think all of us, are prone to, thus says the, insert your name, not the Lord. In other words, it's not really God that's saying that to that person. It's you that's saying that to that person. It's your interpretation. It's your view. It's your way that you think it ought to be. I've gotten into conversations about people wearing shorts in church and hats in church. Whether their hair is long or whether it's short. Whether they're sitting down or standing up or praising with their palms up or their palms down. I've gotten into so many conversations with people about endless minutia that miss the central point is that I don't know what's in that person's heart. And I have no right to judge what's in that person's heart. That's God's job. And so when we think about this passage, I think it helps us to recognize that we can all be a little like this Pharisee. And so maybe this is a gentle correction for some of us. For some of us, it's a confirmation. Maybe you're one of those people, as as I have certainly become, as I've aged in the Lord, a little less judgmental of other people and a whole lot more judgmental of my own motivations my own heart, why I do what I do. You see, these are really strange bedfellows, if you want to look at it that way. Legalism and hypocrisy kind of live together. And as Jesus calls this man a hypocrite, notice that he also calls calls the woman a daughter of Abraham. She's actually acting like a daughter of Abraham, You're acting like a hypocrite. In other words, the truth is separated by what one does with it when it's in view in public, isn't it? I can know a truth completely. I can understand it factually. But if ultimately I don't live it, then my actions belie what it is that I claim to believe. And that was the picture here. This man knew the law. He knew exactly what it said. 
But he so misunderstood the heart of the law that he actually was an offense to God in the way that he's speaking to this poor woman who now for the first time can stand up. For the first time can gaze in the face of someone. She was healed on the Sabbath. You think God cared? Because Jesus is God, we know the answer, don't we? The answer is absolutely not. God didn't care that it was the Sabbath. It was Shabbat. Matter of fact, I think he did it on purpose. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, verse 16 says, whom Satan has bound. Satan bound her. Jesus set her free. There's never a bad time for somebody to be set free. Amen? This is what can happen to you when you become a legalist. It can be about externals and not internals. Pretty soon you'll have religious obligation and duty and there'll be no heart behind it. It'll be about you being right, not you being righteous. Do you understand what I just said? You can be right and not be righteous. Rightness means you have the facts correct. Righteousness means that you have them in view the way God sees them. There's a difference between those two things. Sometimes they're the same thing, but very often they can be different. You can have the facts right and have the wrong heart. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Notice verse 17, and when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. In other words, Jesus speaking the truth to them, and then all the multitude, here's what happens when people see the truth. Here's what happens when people witness you living out the truth of God's word in in your own life. This is what happens to you as well. When people sense the love of the Lord, the goodness of the gospel, and they lose the legalism, I'm not talking about unrighteousness, and neither does the Bible talk about unrighteousness. God is righteous. He's holy. He's always been that way. He continues to be that way, and he settles for nothing less. But the way he deals with our unrighteousness is by his grace through faith. Amen? He does not beat you with your sin. He'll challenge you on it. He'll speak to you about it. He'll even demand that you correct it and change. But in the process that we call sanctification, God is gentle and kind and good. And so we need to be gentle and kind and good. We need to exemplify the love of Christ. Jesus is saying that. The multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by Jesus, by him. Why do you suppose they were rejoicing? This word that's used there for rejoicing is indoxos. It means to honor in the most high way. To to put it into a a perspective for you, it's as if they were saying, this is so amazing, it's only attributable to God. No one else could take credit for this. Church, does legalism and hypocrisy keep you from rejoicing 
when God does something glorious in someone's life. Now, I want to tell you this is a grave pain to me personally. Because I've watched people who are legalistic and hypocritical at the same time that can't rejoice when God does something good in someone else's life. They'll even go so far as to say, well, it's not real. It's not genuine. God couldn't possibly bless them. God couldn't possibly be working in that person's life or in that church. Be careful. Be careful. I want to rejoice when God does anything in anyone's life. In everyone's life. We shouldn't be jealous. We shouldn't be envious. We should be rejoicing when God does anything in anyone's life, even in the lives of people with whom we may possibly disagree. Maybe we don't see things the way they see them. But God has done a work. We need to be rejoicing about it. Here comes the second exposure. We've had the first, this combination of legalism and hypocrisy that's kind of been joined together. And now, so that we don't miss it, verse 18, adding to verse 17, and then he said, so he moves, he hears the glorious praise of the people that this woman has been healed. They don't care when it happened. They've got the right heart. And then Jesus said, he said, What is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? He's going to make a a simile or a similitude. He's going to say, it is like this. If you have this, it's compared to this. This is like this. It's like a mustard seed. And I've heard so many dissertations on how this could possibly be possible Uh, and and also positive, and and I'm going to tell you, there is no way on earth that Jesus is saying that a mustard seed growing into a giant tree is a good thing. What shall I compare it? What's the kingdom of God like? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. Jesus is actually making a negative declaration here. There's a lot of churches that seem like they're big churches. There's a lot going on, but they're a nesting place for the birds of the air, which throughout Scripture is almost exclusively a way for us to talk about the prince of darkness and his demons. You can have a huge church. But a mustard plant is always a weed. Just because it's big doesn't mean that it's good. He's speaking of a couple of things here. Both of them are windows of false faith. You see, sometimes we associate big things with good things, and they're not always good things. 
We happen to be blessed here. We have a history in Calvary Chapel of teaching God's Word. This church has a long history going back more than 35 years. This church has not always been big. It happens to be large now. And if God chooses to bless it, praise the Lord. But not every big church is a Christ-honoring church. There are a lot of churches that are huge, that are just nesting places for the agents of the enemy. And so the parable of the mustard seed, one might say, is a picture of abnormality. It's fake prosperity. It's fake growth. It remains a weed. Now, having grown up here in Southern California, in rural San Diego County, um, I can tell you I have some experience with mustard seeds, mustard plants. I can also tell you that a mustard tree like this will suck the moisture out of the ground and make infertile anything that's anywhere near it. And you can pull that mustard seed, that plant, out of the ground, you're going to find a gigantic taproot that goes down feet. And it will remove the nutrients from the soil. It will take up the water. And it will do absolutely nothing for anyone because the seeds are poisonous to almost everything on this earth. And eventually it withers and dies. The second parable that Jesus is going to speak is going to be one that I think we can focus in on, which is the parable of the leaven. But they both are pictures of the same thing. Satan has a two-pronged attack against God's program here during the age of grace. The time of the Gentiles, the church age that we're currently in. One emphasizes abnormal things, abnormality. The other, adulteration, pollution. We see them here in these two parables. And so this giant mustard plant, is, it's the Lord saying, look, the birds are going to nest in it that are going to snatch away the good seed that falls on the soil that's good. They're, they're going to be wandering around actually doing harm to the body of Christ. Describing a counterfeit church. But a church that might have some means, might have some wealth, might be large. But they're also tolerant Biblically spineless, one might say. Failing to hold to the truth of God's word and instead substituting psychology, programs. Somebody asked me one time, you know, what's the distinctive about Calvary Chapel? I said, it's real easy. We believe the Bible is true. And we teach the Bible cover to cover. Amen? The word of God is truth. You need truth. All we're trying to do is teach the truth. The rest of the stuff, not so valuable most of the time. 
That's why we don't get spun off into things that might be considered more progressive or emergent. We don't water it down. We don't change what it says. We believe that the word of God is true. So we teach it. But I can tell you this. There are a lot of churches that are huge. You don't need your Bible. You could go to church for years and never hear more than a casual mention of anything that you could find in the Bible in context. Oh, but you'll be told that you can be healthy and wealthy and wise and prosperous. You can be told if you just have this much faith that God will do anything you ask. You see, those are huge churches with a false message because the Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, the Bible teaches exactly the opposite of that. Jesus himself making that statement that the poor you will have with you always. Not everybody's going to be wealthy on this earth. And it has nothing to do with whether you have enough faith or not. Because every last one of the disciples, and I would think they would be men of faith, amen? Every one of them died in poverty. 100%. Jesus himself, being the Son of God, had no prosperity whatsoever. And he could have turned rocks into lumps of gold. You see, so you got to be careful. Just because it looks good, just because it sounds good, just because it feels good, doesn't necessarily mean it is good. Hence this very beautiful tree in the midst of the garden. It's a place for birds. It could also be a place for the enemy. The true church needs to be a church that's built on the gospel, and the preaching of God's word. The second parable that Jesus tells here is probably the more important, really, of the two in a general sense. Verse 20, and he said again, so he's driving this point home, so there's a reason that he's driving this point home. To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven. Leaven never in the entirety of Scripture is used in a positive way. So both these things, he says, in the kingdom of God is like, the mustard seed is negative, the leaven is negative. Which a woman took and hid three measures of for a meal until it was all leavened. In other words, inside of the church... There's the doctrinal danger of sin. The leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Sadducees, the leaven of Herod. Jesus uses all three of them in a negative way. And their leaven was sin. Their leaven was adulteration of what God's word plainly declares. And this is so important for us because we live in a world where there's a temptation to take the word of God and say, well, it doesn't really mean that. It doesn't really say that. 
So let's make it say this so everyone will be happy. Let's not offend anyone. Let me just forewarn you, if you're new to Calvary Chapel South Bay, you're watching online. If you came to this church expecting to never be offended, you're going to get offended. Let me just tell you straight up. You're, you're going to have your sin called out. Not because I want to. I don't want my sin called out either. I would rather that God leave me alone. Don't correct my attitude. Don't do any of that, Lord Jesus. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible corrects our sin. It tells us when we're off base. And we're supposed to teach it that way. We, we can't just sit here and go, well, you know, I don't know. You know, uh, yeah, it's okay. I've had so many people come to me and say, you know, you, you, you Calvary guys, you're all still, you know, you're still not recognizing gay marriage. I can't. I can't. I cannot. Because God repeatedly, over and over and over and over again, says that homosexuality is sin. So I can't say it's okay. I can still love people who have same-sex attraction. I can still offer them the hope of heaven. I can still be kind and gentle, but I can't tell them they're okay. When somebody comes to me, well, you know, I just really like smoking weed. The Bible plainly says that you are not to dissipate your mind. Period. Doesn't matter whether it's with alcohol or cocaine or some other substance, including weed. If you're doing something to disturb your neurons, you are sinning. Period. You, you see, a lot of the church, well, you know, don't, don't, don't say that. I'm going to really give you one you're all going to hate me for. Gluttony's a sin. Gluttony is a sin. It's a sin. It's not okay with God. But we just pass over that one. Say, like, well, don't mess, you know, somebody's going to hear that. They're not going to come back to church. I would rather have somebody not ruled by something that can destroy their life and cause them to have type 1 diabetes or type 2 diabetes or destroy their joints, harm themselves to where they have heart disease, cardiovascular disease, because their arteries are filled with plaque. Because they refuse to stop eating my favorite food, Twinkies. I love Twinkies. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for Twinkies. But in moderation, I must eat the Twinkies. Amen? How about pecan pie? You know what I'm saying? We, we all have our reasons that we like something. But it doesn't necessarily mean that's what God wants for us. It might taste really good. But it might be ultimately really bad for us. And so what does God say? 
you don't want to store up a bunch of leaven because that leaven will eventually do what leaven always does. It fills it with air and it will burst. Jesus lays out really three doctrinal problems that we have in this passage. This false prosperity, abnormal growth, a false church, this thing that's gigantic, it must be awesome. And he talks about hidden sin in the church, stuff that's stored up that will eventually bear fruit. It will come out. Uh, And we, church, as we hear the words of Jesus, and he went through the cities, verse 22, and the villages teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. So he's now making this final journey. And he said to one of them, or one, excuse me, one said to him, Lord, are there so few saved? And he said to them, You see, because what I just said to you is hard, isn't it? It's tough. It's difficult. It's not easy being a Christian. The Bible doesn't teach an easy-peasy Christianity. The Bible teaches that narrow is the way. The Bible teaches that there are only two roads. The Bible teaches there's only one gate. There's only one good shepherd. There's only one way. There's only one truth, only one life. That that way is not easy. It's going to challenge you. It's going to change you. It's going to correct you. It's going to do the same to me and has done to me. And so Jesus is illuminating our minds a little bit with these things. He's saying, look, you you can't have an abnormal growth. You can't have adulterated living. You don't want your doctrine to not match up with your duty. You, you, You can't have something that you say you believe that you don't then live out in your life. They need to match up. And so Jesus kind of narrows it down. He's really speaking to us in a way that we can see these three doctrinal dangers. You see, the Pharisees were religionists. They were people who were just patently religious. You could find them in the same seat at church every single week. They, They rarely did anything that you would say, well, that's pretty religious. They were always found making argument about everything, about minutia. Their counterparts, also in the Sanhedrin, were the Sadducees. The Sadducees were kind of the rationalists. So they believe in science. You know, they were the, they were the people, it's just like, well, if I can't prove it, then it can't be true. So they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in the existence of the Holy Spirit. You you can't identify it. You can't scientifically prove it. It it didn't happen. We face these same dangers. The third group is a group that I think we need to be really careful of today. And they were the Herodians. So the Pharisees were religionists. The Sadducees were rationalists, and the Herodians were royalists. 
They believed that a certain group of people, a certain class of people, a certain political affiliation, in this case, those that aligned themselves with Herod, who was the king of Judea at the time, not Caesar, he was the king of Judea, he was a falsely appointed king for the region, even though there were no other kings in other regions, because the Roman government wanted to keep the Jewish people under control, they gave him a king who was half Jewish and half Edomite. It was a mixing of religion and politics. Do you hear what I just said? It was a, it was a mixing of religion and politics. You see, Herod was kind of, sort of Jewish. And Herod was also kind of, sort of Roman. He was actually Idumean from Edom. And so he could play the middle. When he needed to be religious, he was religious. And when he needed to be Roman, he was Roman. We need to be careful. Because these people still exist in our midst today. And they get people spun off in all kinds of stuff. What occupies our hearts and minds as believers is Christ. That's why we're called Christians, by the way. And as Jesus' ministry continues, as we see it, as he heads towards the cross, it's going to become increasingly controversial and increasingly confrontational. Because the truth is the truth. And here's the reason this is so important to us. If you allow it, we can have this dangerous mix. This dangerous mix of politics and religion. We can have this dangerous mix of allowing sin and unrighteousness. And we can have this dangerous mix of false growth based on telling people exactly what they want to hear instead of telling them the truth. These things were a problem then, they're a problem today. And we should be wise to Satan's plans. Don't be unwise. We, we need to be redeeming the time right now. We have a chance as the church to shine. We're going to be living in, a, in an altered world when this whole COVID thing is over. I'm not sure what's going to happen. Frankly, I, I was somewhat terrified originally. Now I'm kind of excited about it. I, I don't know what it's going to be. It's like we get to almost do a do-over. But I know what I want to do. I want to teach the Word of God. I want to preach the Gospel. I want to stick to what the church actually is supposed to be here for. And so the Lord answers he says, look, we're going, we're going towards Jerusalem. So strive to enter through, verse 24, the narrow gate. He's asked a question. Is it really that hard for people to be saved? Strive is, is actually the Greek word agonizo. Our English word agonize. Agonize to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, you will seek to enter but not be able and once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock, saying, Lord, Lord, open it to us. 
For he'll answer to say, and say to you, I do not know you or where you're from. Church, the truth is, there's one way. There's one truth. There's one life. It is at the name of Jesus that anyone who bows the knee now will be saved. That's hard for people to hear. They want to hear that all roads lead to heaven. When the Bible plainly says all roads don't lead to heaven, one road leads to heaven. His name is Jesus. So wandering around the world saying, well, you know, in the end, God will just all know it. That isn't what it says. And that's not what the church should be saying. If the church has a gospel mindset, then we recognize that there's one Savior. There's one Lord. There's nothing lackadaisical. There's nothing half-hearted about our commitment to Christ. We're either all in or we're not. And in this church, we are all in. Salvation is a free gift by faith. But it also has to be received in the manner intended. You have to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. It's not whether you believe that there is a God. It believes that you believe in the one true God. Wow, you mean... Everybody who believes some other way, that the Bible plainly says, Jesus himself says, depart, for I've never known you. The narrow gate. Salvation is free. It's a gift, and anyone can have it. But it's a gift you have to take on God's terms. It's by grace and through faith. It's not because you're religious. It's not because you're politically affiliated. It's not because you go to a big church. It's not because you were baptized as an infant before you even knew what Jesus was. You have to personally believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, look, the time for salvation is right now. That's it. There's only, there's only two things that can happen when you take your last breath. You're either going to hear, well done, enter into my kingdom of rest, or you're going to hear, depart, for I've never known you. That's it. So that gate is narrow. That's what Jesus is saying. Verse 26, notice what it says. And then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Or where you're from. Depart from me, workers of iniquity. These are the words of Jesus, church. Don't miss what he's saying here. He's saying there's a narrow gate. He's saying not everyone is saved. Everyone can be saved who wants to be saved. You can make that profession of faith, but you have to make that profession of faith. Personally. Just because there was a meeting... Just because there was a nodding acquiescence to truth. I find people all the time. Have you ever talked to people? Yeah, oh yeah, I, I believe in the big kahuna. The man upstairs. You ever heard people talk like that? Oh, my aunt's looking down on me right now. Let me tell you something. If you're in heaven, 
you're not looking back down on earth. I don't want to mess with your theology that bad, but there ain't nothing here that anybody up there wants. So this, this whole concept, well, you know, I know about God. No, you have to know him personally. Knowing about him actually can condemn you. It can be an issue of you knew about him, but you did nothing with him. And I realize some of you are going, oh man, this is crazy. What's he saying? Just because this is a good book doesn't mean you've done anything with what it says. Just because you have known about the Lord Jesus Christ does not mean that you have professed Jesus Christ as Lord. And so make sure that you understand what Jesus is saying here. He's saying you've got to get real about your relationship. How do we know that? Why? Because there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom, and yourselves thrust out, do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, stop playing around with God. Stop playing around with me. Make a decision to follow Christ. He's saying, you're going to get down to Sheol. You're going to look, and there's going to be the righteous side, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and the rich man will be on the other side. And Lazarus over there with Abraham in Abraham's bosom. They will be waiting for the completed work. And you're going to be over with the guys who are going to be saying, Hey, could you send him over? Because it's really hot over here. People sometimes say, Well, I don't like the concept of hell. I don't like the concept of hell either. But Jesus taught on it. I'm going to give you a little piece of information. You can jot it down in the side margin of your Bible. Jesus taught more on hell than he did on heaven. Check it for yourself. Jesus taught more about hell than he did about heaven. Why? Because he didn't want anybody going to hell. So he made sure that everybody understood there was some other place you could go other than heaven. And not everybody goes to heaven. Notice what it says. Oh, there'll be people there, but you won't be one of them. You didn't enter through the narrow gate. And they will come from the east and the west, the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there, the last will be first, and the first will be last. Wow. Wow. You see, when, when Jesus gave the pre-flood world 120 years to watch Noah build an ark, he was being gracious and kind and gentle, merciful. But do you notice what happened? The flood still came and people still died. Why is that important to you? Because that same choice is still the choice today. You can choose to enter in to the ark of your salvation, to the kofar, the covering, the atonement that Christ offers through his shed blood. Or you can say, no, nah, I don't really like that. 
I'm not going that way. I want to do it my way. I want Pastor Jeff to tell me that my sin's okay and I can do anything I want. I can live however I please and I'm still going to be fine with God because my mom took me to church when I was two and I'm going to heaven. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. You either believe in me or you don't. You're either going to heaven or hell. And you have to choose to want to go to heaven. You don't go there automatically. You see, narrow is the way that leads into righteousness. Hell is a real place. There is a false church. There's abnormal growth. There's aberration in theology and doctrine. All those things are true. They're all real. And so for us, church, the Lord is reminding us we can't be religious fools. We can't be hypocrites. We can't have a false faith. We have to have the true and the living God in our hearts. We have to believe on the one Savior. We have to live our lives with reckless abandon for the king. Now's the time for us to do that. We have an opportunity to show the world what it really means to be a believer. There's a lot of competing views of what that means. You can mix it with all kinds of stuff right now. And you'll find a club that's probably very big that will bring you in and say, yep, you know, we do that too. And Jesus is saying there's one club you need to belong to. And that's the ones who have named him as Savior and Lord. Would you stand with me and we're going to pray. And I want to pray for you. If you're here today, if you're watching online, let me be clear, very precise. To believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be saved. To invite Christ to be Lord of your life, master of your life, is what you must do. You can't have him as Savior and not also have him as Lord. And so if you're here today and you've been playing games with Jesus, let me first tell you, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. If you're watching online, Jesus loves you. But he is also asking of you to make your commitment real if you want to go to heaven. And so if you're here today, you're watching online, or you watch this later, I want to be very specific. You must invite Jesus Christ into your life, and you must repent of your sin. And you must ask for forgiveness or you are not saved. It's not about your church going. It's not about you going to a big church versus a small church. It is about you personally knowing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The gate is narrow. One way. But if you want to go in, he'll take anyone who'll ask. All you got to do is ask. And if you want to ask right now, we're going to give you an opportunity right now to invite Christ into your life. 
for the rest of us, let's make sure that this is the gospel we preach. Don't let people around you believe they're going to heaven because they go to church. Don't let people around you think they're going to heaven because they got baptized as an infant. Don't let people around you, don't let your neighbors think that because they believe in a God that all gods are the same. They're not. Let's tell people about the real way and the real truth and the real life and the only way you can get there in his name is Jesus. For those that want to pray to receive Christ, I'm just going to lead you in a simple prayer. For the rest of you, be praying for your unsaved family, your loved ones, people you work with. Ask the Holy Spirit to send someone, to send you. Father, corporately, we all admit that we are sinners in need of your great grace. Not one of us, Romans 3.10 says, is righteous. Verse 23, same chapter, says that all of us have fallen short of your glory. Paul would further write in chapter 6 and verse 23 that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe in my heart. Those that are praying right now are believing in their heart that you, Jesus, were deli was delivered over to death and, and you were raised to life for our justification. We believe that, Lord. We believe you demonstrated your own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, you, you died for us, Jesus. Thank you for that. We confess with our mouth that you, Jesus, alone are Lord. Religion hasn't saved us church hasn't saved us you Jesus paid the price for our sin you died on Calvary's cross and were raised from the grave three days later we believe these things and we confess our sin before you and ask you to forgive it and we know in our hearts that everyone who calls upon your name Lord Jesus will be saved and so, Lord, for those of us who already believe these things, we reconfess them publicly to you. And we pray for those that have prayed that prayer for the first time as they receive your love, as they receive your blessing, as you welcome them in, as we welcome them into your family, Lord. Seal us by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us from evil correct what needs to be corrected and use us, Lord, for your purposes in this world. We thank you for loving us, Lord. Let us be the true church preaching the true gospel with the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.